Incoming transmission. Hey guys, this is Cam, and you hear that sound? That is CBS and Paramount throwing a hyperspanner in the works for us. Originally, we planned to have our review of Those Old Scientists, the Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover episode at the usual time slot next week. However, at San Diego Comic-Con today on July 22nd, they premiered that episode for the crowd and then also put it on streaming. Why am I even recording this right now? I should be watching the episode. But here's what we're going to do. This Wednesday, the 26th, we are going to release our review episode of Those Old Scientists. And then, at the usual time slot, Sunday the 30th, we are going to release our review of Episode 8 of Strange New Worlds Season 2, Under the Cloak of War. So you got a lot of subspace content coming to you in the next eight days, so I hope you enjoy it. And in the meantime, I gotta go, folks. I got an episode to watch. Evidence of sabotage. Sabotage. Starfleet officers aren't supposed to randomly hallucinate. This is very real. You aren't imagining it. Captain! You have to shut down the station. It's a matter of life or death. Contact Starfleet. We're being attacked by an enemy. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, and I really don't want to be hit on right now. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, episode six of season two, Lost in Translation. I just want to say those are words I lisp, live by, Cam. Like, not lost in translation, but when I go to a bar, I immediately turn to the women like down the bar and I just tell them, <laughs> I don't want to be hit on right now. Please, please. You know, it, it always seems to work. It always seems to work. <laughs> but usually there's like, 10 empty like booths next to you <laughs> and so it's like the person who's like what pardon <laughs> oh I, I bring my blowhorn with me it's uh i don't want it to be awkward yeah. <laughs> that's right the megaphone you know it's uh, a little bit of a noise disturbance but whatever it's a bar yeah so this is my favorite sofia coppola episode of star trek uh what about you well i had a really burning question for you what do you think uhura whispered into pike's ear at the end um uh caddyshack was my favorite movie <laughs> caddyshack 2 <laughs> there you go there you go um yeah okay so of course this one uh, lost in translation it is uh, the the true i think real appearance of prime kirk finally on this series mm. after being introduced in the season finale of season one um, we did get a glimpse of him at the end of uh tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow where he's talking on the uh, on the pad with Laon. Uh, you know, obviously he thinks uh, Sam has screwed up again, but this is Kirk on the Enterprise for the very first time that we've been able to witness him. And it's an episode centering on, you know, Uhura coming to grips with how to process death. So, um, yeah, like, I, I, I maybe, maybe it, it's the fault of coming off of, probably my favorite episode of the entire series just one week um this one uh I, I thought it was fine it just but these one hour i guess in this case 54 minute like run times I, I think these shows could be improved markedly by you know just just moving the pace up a little bit and, and maybe that means chopping out like 15 minutes out of every episode like those tng episodes back in the day I never really felt as if they dragged. It could be a bad episode, but it, you know, like they, they did have like a certain pace to them. And, and I don't know, I, I think this one could have benefited from uh, that. But there's some interesting things going on here. So you're saying this episode could have been refined a little. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Um, yeah, like this was an interesting episode in that I think. I just, you know, checked the IMDb score after I finished the episode. I saw, like, this isn't one that's being received as well as, you know, last week's episode or some of the, uh, like, episode two, for example, of this season. 
And I get it. Like, it has a lot of, like, night terrors. You know, the TNG episode. Some devil in the dark mixed in as well. In terms of, like, your overall problem, it's kind of stuff we've seen before in Trek. What I did like was that it actually made Uhura, like, a very active like agent in trying to solve the problem, which is sometimes not the case, especially in some of those really dire, like Deanna Troy episodes or something, where they just kind of like turn her into a victim. I liked here that Ahura was constantly problem solving throughout. But I think what I appreciated about this episode wasn't so much like kind of the, you know, zombies and smoke monsters stuff, that they took kind of a Star Trek tropey episode and just really like built an episode full of like relationship building, whether it was Kirk and Ahura, having the Kirk brothers dueling, having some interesting stuff with Pike and Uhura. Like, it felt like if it was a little overlong, they were at least trying to inject character and relationship growth as opposed to just making it a all characters on deck to solve the problem. As opposed, you know, that kind of propulsive plot point after plot point, and you're not really sitting with the characters, whereas we did get to sit with the characters and sit with the characters. And sit with the characters. And, I, and I'm just kind of like, this could have used a little bit of uh, tightening up, though. And I, I think that's kind of what I come back to. And it's like, it, 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 but, you know, you go back last season, I, I didn't feel as if, like, those episodes needed to be tightened up, except for um, except for Elysian Kingdom. Like, that Should one have been could a short have been tightened track. up to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, it might have been too long, you know. So I just, like, it's interesting, like, the, going into the sophomore season, I definitely don't think the uh, the first six episodes are as strong as the first six episodes of season one. Doesn't mean I think this is bad Star Trek. It's just not, you know, maybe I just got my expectations up a little too high after like a pretty strong inaugural season. Like I, I think one of the best inaugural seasons for Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look at Strange New Worlds, where it's at, I guess it's tough because, you know, we're... <laughs> Picard seasons, you know, like two, one and two aren't that far off in the rearview mirror. I'm also thinking of like Discovery seasons three and four, which often felt like kind of a dire experience. I never find that with this show, even in an episode. And I, I really did not care for episode four of this season, the memory episode. But I mean, it's a show that I find consistently engaging, even if it is just like the relationship moments. So like, I don't feel like I'm just kind of sitting through a slog. So while I agree with you that this is not as kind of propulsive and it just doesn't really have that sense of discovery that the first season did I'm just kind of enjoying hanging out with these characters again and I guess that's something that makes say like going back and doing a revisit of DS9 or TNG rewarding is that when you watch a very middle of the road mediocre episode you're still like oh man that scene with Worf was really fun or I really like that dynamic moment between Picard and Riker like there's moments that kind of keep the episodes alive. And I think this show is much better at that than Picard or Discovery. I Yeah, I, I will not disagree there. One thing, though, like they are setting up why Sam Kirk is no longer on the Enterprise by the time his brother takes command. That You know, obviously, by the time uh, Sam passes away in, in um, what was the name of the episode in the original series with the uh, flying uh, eggs? Yeah, Operation Annihilate. Yeah, you know, like, um, he's obviously kind of a research scientist on a planet by that point, and he's kind of given up on his dreams of Starfleet. Inevitably, like, when you're kind of planting those seeds, and this episode, like, Sam kind of comes off as, like, a loser, you yeah. know, or, or, like, just somebody who's, like, um, <laughs> begging for an apology from his brother. It doesn't seem as if, like, sibling rivalry, it really is, like, Jim, like, thumbing his nose at his younger brother, and I'm just like, oh, okay. And, and the problem is... Uh, we still have a Paul Wesley problem, Cam. This mm. is his visit to the Prime Enterprise, and I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling it as if there's going to be some sort of passing of the baton that would make me excited in a couple of years, you know, when uh, it's time for Pike to wrap up the series and and it's time for Jim to take over the ship. I just, I, he doesn't, ha uh, Paul Wesley does not have the gravitas, and he doesn't have like the, the natural charisma of Shatner or... Uh, Chris Pine, and and I'm just like it, it keeps kind of dragging on me, and I'm just like I I, I want this uh, actor to feel you know comfortable doing his own thing, but I think we just I think we're kind of spoiled with say an Ethan Peck you know taking over mm -hmm. as Spock, uh, Celia Rose Gooding taking over as a Hurrah you know, and I I just I I think they just missed the boat here, and I think 
for a while, you and I were saying like, well, it's not necessarily prime Kirk or, you know, this is a younger version of Kirk, you know, less experienced, but I just, uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry, but it's just like, uh, I'm not even feeling that much chemistry in, in, in the very limited amount of screen time that we got with Spock and Kirk meeting each other. Doesn't it seem as if that would have been like more of a significant moment versus it just seemed like kind of a throwaway moment here. I, I did think about that, and I also thought about, like, the first moment of Kirk meeting Uhura, where it's the, you know, don't hit on me, and she just kind of walks away. I, I think the show was trying to kind of, like, underplay these, like, historic moments. Like, the idea of Kirk and Spock's first meeting is the sort of thing that I'm sure fans have written all sorts of fan fiction about over the years, some appropriate and some not. <laughs> um, but I, what I liked about this meeting was that it was kind of tossed off. It was just, like, a very casual, like oh, this is their first meeting. It wasn't like a, you know, the spotlights shine down on them as they meet for the very first time. And I kind of liked the way the camera just kind of pulled out and we just had the kind of the door close. And it was notable to me that the three at the table was Kirk, Uhura, and Spock, which feels like much more of a callback to the Kelvinverse era, which played up those three very much as the triumvirate. Uh, and we also did get a shout out to the USS Kelvin uh, that, uh, you know, first officer one, uh, George Kirk, uh, you know, was the youngest first officer in Starfleet have history aboard that one. Yeah, yeah. And as for Paul Wesley, I did notice a little more of the Kirk squint that he has adopted in the performance. So that did jump out to me a little more in this episode. I don't know that it really registered in the previous ones if he played that up at all. I don't really know. I'd have to go back to the tape on that. But um, I like some of the material they're writing for him. Um, the moment where he's sitting and talking to Uhura about death, it didn't fall back on Kirk reciting the greatest hits of the Kobayashi Maru or anything like that. I like that they managed to kind of communicate that message in a way where you can, you know, use your headcanon to recall those classic Kirk moments without kind of like really putting too fine a point on it. So like, I like the material I liked kind of the friendship building between those characters, but like Paul Wesley is a case where it's like, I wonder if I had not seen multiple like home run recastings in this franchise, if it would bother me as much. Like imagine if this was the first time we'd seen a major character recast. I mean, I'm sure people would be <laughs> up in arms and have pitchforks and be in the street. Just the fact they're recasting a classic character for the first time. But I wonder if I would have as strong a visceral reaction without so much like competition around him making it stand out that much more especially <laughs> consider the fact uh that uh shatner uh also played sam kirk back in uh, the original <laughs> series and so that's a recast right there and you actually have an actor who kind of has this energy to him that kind of like he's not playing like jim kirk uh he's a little bit more of a um a bit of a a, a bit more of a dud in, not, not in terms of yeah, a little bit more neurotic you know yeah yeah i think that's a perfect word and uh, but he still has this energy about him mm -hmm. that i think really captures the spirit of james kirk then i think what paul wesley's been able to do and i really wish that they had cast that uh sam kirk actor in the role of jim the issue is like i i think what the casting people were like okay who can we find that has kind of a kirk look and a kirk energy and they found him, and it was so they cast him as Sam. And then they're like, "Hmm, who has a lot of followers on Instagram?" Paul Wesley. And so then they cast him. Like that's what it feels like at this point. Well, the fact that they made such a big deal of the casting of Kirk, I think a big part of that media push before he'd like long before he'd appeared on, uh, you know, season one of Strange New Worlds, was that like this was a pretty well-known vampire diaries actor not by us uh, i think we were both completely oblivious but to uh people who might care like that would be a draw for them to watch the show so like it felt like a little more of a marketing hook in that way like when you were going back to 2009 and casting chris pine there's no real marketing hook other than people that have seen him pop up in the odd thing here or there whereas this felt like more of an intentional approach to casting it's tough because like I was watching Seven Years in Tibet last night, Tyler, as I am wont Why to not? do. Sure. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it was for research for another podcast episode, unrelated to uh, subspace transmissions. Thank goodness, I suppose. Um, but like, I'm watching this movie, and it's like a beautiful looking movie. And Brad Pitt, we all know, is a star with a huge amount of charisma, Oscar winner now. He's not good in that movie. He is stiff as a board, unconvincing, and you sit there the whole movie being like, this guy doesn't have it in this movie. And I think he was criticized at the time as well. And it's it's that you know classic thing of like, I don't like to pick on the actors if they come across as unconvincing in these roles because I do believe very strongly in appropriate casting in terms of like casting directors choosing people that fit these roles directors directing a performance out of them like the collaborative elements that go into creating these performances and i just wonder like was this a case where there's something like paul wesley has that you put him in another role this guy's dynamite but like in the kirk role it just doesn't fit quite right yeah and here's another thing i i I don't want to get too hung up on um the age of the actor. I, I can usually kind of uh, be flexible with that. But but the Kirk that we're meeting right now, he's supposed to be what, like 27, 28? You know, if this show, if this <laughs> series takes place about six or seven years before Kirk uh, is in charge of the Enterprise as we know it in the yeah. original series. Uh, Paul Wesley's 41. And mm. he just, like, he doesn't come off as somebody who has kind of that, uh, you know, late 20s spirit, a little bit left to learn still before he's ready to be captain kind of comes off as like a 40 year old you know and um although to be fair back in like the 1960s like a 28 year old looked like they were 40 (laughs) very true i i always love walking through the halls of my old high school and looking at the uh, pictures of these 17 year olds in like 1963 and they (laughs) all looked like they were about to retire (laughs) i was like okay um it was a different time i suppose but i I don't know it's just there's Kim, we've been complaining about Paul Wesley <laughs> since the uh, season one finale. And it's just like, maybe we just need to put a pin in it or something. Just accept this is what it is. But I'm just, I'm bummed out. And I just don't, Cam, when is the moment that Spock turns to Paul Wesley and says, my sister, Michael Burnham, who I'm never allowed to talk about again, she <laughs> told me to find my guiding light and you are him. Like, I, that's the scene that I'm waiting for. Well, she did say, find someone who is the exact opposite of you. And Ethan Peck has a ton of charisma. Yes, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. there's something to that. The exact opposite, perhaps. I don't know. Like, I guess this episode persuaded me a little more that while I <laughs> I can tell I'm going to have nothing but problems aligning the Shatner version of Kirk with the Paul Wesley version of Kirk... The actor, in terms of, like, communicating, like, the emotional connections with the other characters, that came across for me. So I may just have to, like, turn off that comparison and just, like, stop driving myself mad and just focus more on the organic interactions with his co-stars. I just need to, you know, I've heard other people say this, but I I just, I think if this guy's name was not Kirk, Mm. we would have such a better time just sitting back and enjoying the character and the character's performance. If he, if he was Lieutenant Smith, who's just been promoted to uh, the youngest first officer and, and Starfleet, and we've seen like alternate versions of him, I think maybe we'd, uh, I think we'd be enjoying Lieutenant Smith a lot more. I agree. As Lieutenant Smith myself, I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. yes. Uh, I, I will always think champion about <laughs> Lieutenant Smith. <laughs> but no, I'm just thinking I, of like <laughs> super generic names. And of course... I thought of you subconsciously. Of course, of course. I mean, I mean, honestly, if um, Paul Wesley had shown up early on as Sam Kirk, we probably wouldn't have even blinked. We'd be like, yeah, sure. okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I do like kind of the dueling brother thing. There's something about Star Trek and like these captains who we have so much reverence for, whether it is Kirk or Picard, and these like... <laughs> squabbling relationships with brothers we had of course you know renee picard or sorry that's the the son uh, robert picard in uh, tng and the two of them wrestling in mud and i did find a lot of fun in the interactions between the two kirk brothers in this episode i like the moment where they're working together to solve the problem with uhura but i also kind of like watching the two of them bounce off each other because the idea of if you are the sibling of a james t kirk or a jean-luc picard that has to be daunting when they are seen as these like great visionaries of the future. Yeah, but uh, at least they are on different career tracks. You know, like I don't think, you know, like uh, uh, Robert ever wanted to pursue Starfleet. He was happy 
you know, living life on the vineyard, making what appears to be like really bad wine based on what everybody <laughs> in uh, season three of Picard <laughs> seemed to indicate. And look, uh, George, or I should say Sam, uh, George Samuel Kirk Jr. Yeah. Um, like he, he didn't want to pursue like a command path. Like he, he wants to do like xenobiology and do that kind of research. So I think it's like, I know what you're saying, very daunting in front of you, but it's like, um, I think they found their particular callings and in Sam's case, it will lead to his doom, which it's kind of a depressing thing. Like I like this Sam character, but knowing he's going <laughs> to meet like pretty like lame end. I'm just like, Oh, okay. I mean, I guess he has a few good years because I believe at the time of his death, you know, he's married and has a young son because we meet the son in Operation Annihilate, who is, I think, like, Kirk is like, well, see you later, kid. <laughs> but, um, right. you know, like, the idea that this guy is going to settle into more of, like, a domestic life where he obviously is working in the sciences, but he just, he's not someone out there chasing the stars. He's not Peter Pan, second star to the right straight on till morning. Yeah, that's true. And... Yeah, well, I I am kind of thinking like <laughs> racking my brain about like uh, the fact that Shatner Kirk never brought up Sam ever again. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just like suddenly thinking like in terms of brothers, there's also of course Spock and his brother <laughs> Cybok as well. That didn't turn out so well either. Star Trek has a real thing with brothers. We did an episode some time ago uh, about uh, daddy issues and. There's some of that in here as well, because clearly Sam Kirk has some resentment about George Kirk's uh, fondness for uh, Jim's achievements versus his own. So there's some daddy issues going on there. But there's a lot in terms of, like, brother issues in uh, Star Trek. Yeah, you got Data and Lore. You've got Worf yeah. and Nikolai Rajenko, you know, uh, Worf Kern. and Kern, yeah. you know, um alexander and that uh, ball of clay that hit him in the head <laughs> in an uh, imaginary friend yeah, yeah you got rom and quark as well yes yeah um huh there might be an episode there at some point there you go <laughs> uh brotherly love in star trek oh i like it you've already got the title we don't have to sit there and spend 10 minutes trying to come up with a title <laughs> listeners cam and i we've done that before and 10 minutes might be uh, an underestimate in some cases there um Okay. Well, okay. So I, I do want to dive into a little bit of the Hammer stuff. That was a very graphic makeup they put on uh, uh, Bruce Horak uh, with his return. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I mean, it was nice seeing him. Okay. Uh, what I did like is seeing him at the end in like kind of the bridge scene. You know, to me, I don't get much where I'm watching people like watching old videos, you know, <laughs> just like, eh, like whatever. And like, um, I, I, I do appreciate that, like, it's not just okay you know i was just complaining how shatner kirk like never brought up sam's name ever again but in this mm -hmm. case like hammer's death truly did have an impact on uhura and she chose to compartmentalize it uh through overwork not getting sleep um you know and, and so it did have an like a true impact on her that she's still dealing with now uh, let me say this it, it still feels as if hammer's death was not part of his own journey but it was just meant to serve Uhura's journey. And I understand that. The thing that I push back on, though, is that um, Hammer was still in the main credits. Like, he's not an iconic, you know, Star Trek character like Uhura, you know, is and, and was. Um, I just think that his death, like, I don't know. I think he, him as a character, he was just kind of treated very secondary in yeah. the way that he went out. Well, he felt like a, I don't want to say an afterthought, but the way they kind of like had him set up in season one where he like showed up silently at the very end of the first episode and then was like very sporadic in his appearances on the show. When you've got like a Carol Kane, it's a little bit of like celeb stunt casting a little bit. So you can understand why she isn't in every episode, I suppose. But with like a hammer, the visual was so striking, you know, Bruce Horrock, great actor. I'm going to be seeing him on stage at Bard on the Beach uh, next month uh, in Goblin Macbeth. I'm looking forward to that, a play he co-created. But I mean, he's not like a you know a movie star joining the show where you go, oh, okay, I, I kind of get it. It's like all we had was the idea of an Anar on the ship, and all fans wanted to know was more about that character. And so we, when he had so little to do, and then kind of a very abrupt exit, I think people felt a little wounded by that. Yeah. I, I think like this episode 
I really enjoyed the Ahura journey of it. And it was interesting watching that video. It was kind of fun. Just a little bit of a throwaway gag of, you know, um, Hammer's prankster spirit <laughs> when he's like, you know, pulling a, a joke on Ahura. But I realized that this moment and that relationship, as minute as it was, is going to play something of a role in informing how I read Uhura when I watch her in the original series going forward. When I revisit episodes and you see moments of her doing engineering, I am going to like flash back to that mentoring relationship. So I think in terms of like Hammer kind of mattering in the overall scheme, it has actually had a bit of an impact on me. Although they did kind of diminish him <laughs> where <laughs> Pelia said um, he was one of my best students. Actually, I only said that because he's dead. He's just okay. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> she said the same about Una, to be fair, as well. Yeah, yeah, maybe she has really high standards. Um, but although, like, uh, let me ask you this. You know, P Pelia says to Una, you know, yeah, you don't like me because I'm a reminder that uh, Hammer died and I replaced him. Um, yeah. Just based on fan reaction to Pelia, I wonder if there's other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just wondered. Just wondered. I almost wondered, it doesn't work in terms of, like, the setup we've required to get to this episode with, you know, the Laon, Kirk story, and what have you. But it almost feels like this episode should have landed a little earlier in the season to kind of acknowledge Pelia's joining the ship and how crew members might feel a little ambivalent towards her versus, like, six episodes into the season. Yeah, we're, like, two-thirds of the way through the season as a whole. Yeah, um, and we've seen Pelia interact with like very few of these characters in any meaningful way. Do you think she's back for season three? Ah, uh, that is an excellent question. I okay, it would seem weird to me if they like killed Pelia by the end of the season. It would be like, wait, are you just going to do that to every engineer at the end of a season? That feels kind of like arbitrary and kind of silly. So I don't think that's going to happen. She, yeah, the engineers are the uh, are the drummers in Spinal Tap, right? Exactly. Like, that would feel kind of weird and you'd also just be like, well, does that mean it's Scotty? And then they're like, no, <laughs> you've got another engineer until Scotty. would be like, whatever. Stop doing this joke. But I is there... The problem with Pelia is I don't really know that much. I mean, I guess I know quite a few details about her, but like I have no relationships on the show informing her it's entirely her tossing out quirky bits so like you could write her off the show at the end of the season just have her be like oh i'm moving on to another station or whatever and it wouldn't matter <laughs> it would have no impact whatsoever on the show in any way shape or form yeah. but i don't know like i guess it's gonna depend on whether they choose to spend their last you know four episodes at some point establishing something concrete between her and another character I if I look I all I know is what I've seen so far and I get the feeling like this character is just meant to be kind of a one season uh, let's have fun with it it's it just like she's not in the main cast she's popping in here or there uh, I maybe maybe she does show up for the first uh, couple episodes of season three and then I don't know the writers can just claim oh writer strike actor strike uh, for whatever reason we can't bring her back I like I don't know. You know, I just, I don't get the sense that, that Pelia is going to be here for the long haul on Strange New Worlds. Maybe she's Scotty's mentor at some point. And he was a crappy uh, student as well back at the Academy. <laughs> you know what? I'm in favor of the crappy student uh, element of this episode because so often when you watch these Star Trek shows, these people seem like these bright, shining beacons of like <laughs> capability that I'm like, this is very unrelatable to me. As someone who was like a C, C minus high school student, I'm like, come on, give me some people that feel like they've had to had to work hard to where they're at. I kind of appreciate that you had Pelia underlining that, you know, Hemmer and Una, while serving on the flagship now, weren't always like geniuses out of the gate. Yeah, like Nog was not a Wesley Crusher, you know, when he got no. into Starfleet. So, yeah. Um, so I have to say... Captain Kirk seems like he must have been like a real wet blanket if, you know, when he comes and he takes command of the Starship Enterprise and he does some renovations and they get rid of that massive upscale bar and lounge in which like mm. jazz musicians are playing in the evenings. And he's just like, no, <laughs> 
too distracting for for the crew. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Uh, and these quarters, <laughs> these massive, massive quarters that the captain gets to enjoy. <laughs> no, that's not the that's not the starship life for me. No, thank you, sir. And who needs a wonderful cooking kitchen in, like in my quarters? He accuses Uhura of becoming a sadist due to her, like you know, the voices in her head in this episode. But it's like I don't know. This is a captain who when he's visiting Pike's ship, is, like, geeking out over the fact they have, like, fresh-baked cookies yeah. <laughs> versus, like, the original series where he's serving them up colored cubes. <laughs> <laughs> he's cruel. He really is. I'm sorry, could you, can you picture Shatner Kirk going, hey, guess what? They have fresh cookies. <laughs> Do you want me to go grab you one? <laughs> like, uh... Who does he say that to? Which character? Um... You would say that, uh, oh, uh, Commodore Decker. Or was it Admiral Decker? Uh, no, he was uh, Captain Decker, I think, at that point, wasn't he? Was it he? Captain Decker? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, he says that to Captain Decker. <laughs> Cut scene. I would watch that scene. Um, I did like that, like, one of the things that's kind of like, <laughs> with the original series was it's a little bit of a boozy show. You often have scenes of, you know, Kirk drinking with McCoy, scenes where McCoy's drinking alone. I kind of like that it, opened this episode with like kirk and uh and sam like hitting the bar that's something that's like very you know it's 60s boozy and not something that's gonna be popping up too much in new star trek episodes but i did like that they kind of kept that continuity going well every time we've seen him uh you know kirk seems to be a lush at least in <laughs> yeah. uh, strange new worlds you know like uh tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow uh it's nine in the morning and he, he's raiding the mini bar <laughs> um <laughs> Here, he, he, the first thing he does is like uh, he he jumps into the lounge and he's like uh, getting like a like a tumbler of scotch and I'm just like okay, that's, I don't quite recall that from uh, you know Kirk as we knew him, but um, there you go. How long until he's visiting like houses of ill repute, like he was in Wolf in the Fold? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, like you know, '60s Kirk. It's like there's all these kind of like elements of that character that kind of like the Mad Men era kind of stuff that is kind of more fun to look at now in retrospect. But like, it's the sort of thing when you are doing a prequel show like this, that's very hard to work in in a way that doesn't feel weird. Yeah. Um, Kim, I gotta ask, like, what was the whole point of the, the fleet captain? Temp they kept saying it's temporary. It's temporary. So let's give like Pike a, a different like Delta and I was so confused by that Delta for a long time um, mm, because, yeah, like, I could see that they're, like, two little gold leaves, but I just saw them as, like, two little gold spots until I finally realized that they were leaves, just like how the admirals have those circular um, deltas, and then they're wrapped in leaves. And the thing is, like, it w didn't register until there's just one angle towards the very end where you could actually see, um, like, Pike, he turned a little, and they had the two golden leaves at the bottom, and then you could see uh, it was actually just um, black leaves, you know, as if they were waiting to be filled in with gold going all the way up, as if that that's would indicate that you are now an admiral at that point. But, Cam, what was the point of this temporary promotion to fleet captain? Okay, if you ask me uh, as soon as I finish the episode, I don't have an answer for you, other than just like... Uh... I don't know, maybe they thought that would be interesting in some way, but I actually have an answer for you, which was thanks to some random on the internet who mentioned this, that um, in the Menagerie episode, Kirk mentions he met Pike when he was uh, promoted to fleet captain, oh. and so that's why they did it. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it was a plugging the hole stupid. of continuity. Yeah. Yeah. This is totally. stupid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm always somebody. That I like. I when it comes to continuity stuff, like I'm. Uh, remember, um, uh, the trouble with Edward. Yeah. And uh, they they were explaining why tribbles are so prodigious, and people are like, "That's a continuity error because you know, Phlox said in uh, Enterprise season two episode." five that uh tribbles are known to be prodigious and that was 150 years before the trouble with edward short trek um i'm always one who's you're in day-to-day -day conversations with people right and don't you notice how people are wrong all the time like <laughs> i could have just rationalized it like yeah fox made a mistake that, that was it sure or Kirk made a mistake and uh it wasn't or you know at the time that he was promoted to fleet captain like i like 
th- those those little continuity errors are fine with me. Um, turning Khan Noonien Singh into a Canadian man. Um, <laughs> Hey, we've got a we've got a Canadian. We finally, uh, I guess, have like a specifically Canadian character from Star Trek who's a major icon. We've got uh, Michael Eddington uh-huh. and uh, Sam LaBelle's grandfather. Well, exactly. Like and... these are not iconic characters. <laughs> uh, whereas Khan, that's like one of the big icons. That's the you know debatably where you stand. It's Galdacott or him, or I guess the Borg Queen for the greatest villain in Star Trek. So he's one of the three. Yeah, yeah. It's just um. It's not so much that, uh, like, they never said that Khan wasn't Canadian, but <laughs> it's more the stuff, like, they, they they also made it clear that he wasn't exactly born, like, the year, like, 2017, yeah. which seems to have been the case in Tomorrow's Tomorrow's Tomorrow, and they're like, it's the timeline, it keeps trying to push back, and I've been here 30 years, like, they're just kind of trying to retcon that sort of stuff, where, like, Khan Union Singh clearly would have been born in, like, 1960 or something. Well, it's funny how, like, the hills they're willing to die on for continuity, like making him uh, Pike a fleet captain in this episode just for the sole yeah. purpose of one line of dialogue in the menagerie. I just kind of like laugh about. I guess the one thing I do appreciate about it is, is that it shows that Pike is someone who's on the upward trajectory career-wise. So obviously he's going to have an accident, but the idea that he would be someone to be moving on to like become an admiral later on, it feels like moments like this are kind of building towards that. So I, I kind of like that. But... Yeah, I, I just wonder, like, I, you know, we talk about The Trouble with Edward, a short trek that we both very much enjoyed, and it seemed the world around us did not, and seemed very upset about that triple thing, so I almost wonder if the writers are a little on guard, uh, which might explain the fleet captain decision. I, I, I don't know, because, like, go check out IMDb now, and uh, the, the scores on IMDb for Trouble with Edward, uh, they're not as brutal as they were when that uh, short track premiered like they've oh, come around and it's yeah it's more of just kind of a normal score now versus i think it was like at like i don't know like a 4.9 or a 5.1 or something um yeah. after it was released and, and now i think it's like maybe a seven something when we ranked like the worst graded episodes of star trek was that one on it or was it just outside of the eligibility uh you put me on the spot i don't i don't yeah, recall yeah. myself yeah, I don't remember if we had any short treks in that uh, in that collection of episodes to rank. Uh, check that one out, folks. It was very fun. We went through the IMDb and took all the worst-rated Star Trek episodes and decided which ones uh, were the genuine worst versus the very best of the group. So I'm just double-checking. Uh, the Trouble with Edward now has a 7.1 rating on Whoa. IMDb. Yeah, That's a real boost, yeah, because it was much lower before. I think it was just just initial fan reaction. You know, or yeah. just maybe some, maybe, maybe it's just like um, the loudest voices, maybe creating a narrative that wasn't quite accurate for a little while. And you and I were always on board with that episode. So I wonder if it also gets now a little bit of the Strange New Worlds bump because it does kind of involve some Strange New Worlds elements. So, like, maybe it's now kind of just tied to that overall world, which people seem to be enjoying. Ah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm overthinking That's it, probably. Com- complete conjecture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is the specific yeah. reason why the rating has gone up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe another bit of a Pike problem. Um, uh, you know, I- I've been talking about how this episode, this season just hasn't felt as strong as a uh, first season. And part of this, you know, Pike's not in these episodes as much as he was. And, mm-hmm. of course, uh, Anson Mounts, uh, he's a new father, and, of course, the uh, the producers wanted to accommodate that, and that, that, that's amazing that they did that. But I, I, I think it's to the show's detriment that uh, he's not in the show as much as he was in the first season. Like, he is he's a legit leading man in this, and he's great. And the more often he's on screen, the, the better the series is. And, you know, we also look at uh, season two of uh, Discovery, which benefited greatly from Anson Mount's um, uh, his presence during the second season, and there's a huge Anson Mount deficit in season three of Discovery, and you, you really <laughs> did feel that there as well. So I just wonder if look, we're getting to the last four episodes of the show now. I suspect um, he's going to be featured quite a bit in episode seven. Um, and spoiler mm-hmm. alert: this is the one in which uh, it's a crossover episode with uh, the Lower Decks crew in uh, live action. So um, 
I'm pumped for next week for sure. And I, I, I gotta believe you gotta give like Anson Mount lots of screen time in that one. I would have to imagine so, yes. I like that he was a consistent presence through this episode and had some like genuine moments where I was like, oh, that's some that's some good Pike stuff right there. I like the moment at the end where he kind of empowered Uhura on the bridge to kind of make that decision. But when she said fire torpedoes, he turns himself and gives like an acknowledgement to the person to do it. It's like, I'm sure that the person standing at the console just immediately <laughs> looked at Pike and was like, uh, should I be doing this? So like yeah. they found subtle ways to work in some Pike-isms. His presence felt like it was, I guess, there through the episode, as opposed to several of the other ones where he was like either almost completely absent or had like one tiny scene. I like that element of this episode. But yeah, it does seem kind of strange that like at this point we've had one episode built around Pike and it was the memory episode. There has not been like one great Pike episode. I mean, maybe it comes later in the season. We had to wait here this uh, this season until episode six to get an Uhura episode. And we were complaining about Uhura's lack of material earlier in the season. So maybe Pike's going to go out super strong, but it does feel a little delayed. Yeah. Um, and it kind of surprised me that this was the first reference to the Gorn since the season two premiere. I, I would have thought that they were referenced or even seen on screen by this time. Um, I mean, you know, look, I have no problem if the producers want to make sure they're not overdoing mm -hmm. an alien species, you know, but um, it, it does genuinely surprise me that they've uh, been a little bit uh, inconspicuous um, at this point. Um, does that mean it's more? It's definitely not going to be episode uh, seven, or I don't know, maybe it is. Who knows? But I, I suspect <laughs> we're like they kind of set something up at the end of episode one of season uh, two. And so, I don't know, is this going to be paid off in the season finale, uh, episodes eight or nine? TBD, I suppose. There was like a, just a snippet of a shot in the trailers indicating we will get a Gorn encounter at some point, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if they're leaving that until the finale. Although last season, I remember you and I coming up with these like grandiose ideas as to what the finale was going to be. And then they gave us this like complete out of left field kind of alternate timeline riff on Balance of Terror, which was fantastic, but not at all what we expected in terms of kind of going by the conventional Star Trek thinking of like, well, clearly if this were, you know, TNG, it's going to end in like a Borg two-parter or Voyager or something like that. The show seems to be playing it a little more fast and loose. So like for all I know, like episode eight is a big Gorn episode. Maybe they're not going to wait to the finale. I guess I am at a point where it's like, I was really into the first appearance of the Gorn in season one. And then when we had the baby Gorn episode, I was less enthusiastic with that one, the Hammer Death episode. I would prefer they kind of spaced them out, really take their time the way that TNG did with the Borg, especially initially, where you just waited until they had like a really amazing Borg story and then fully delivered. I don't want to do like Voyager Borg stories where it's like, we've got Gorn children. I guess we had Gorn children already, but you know what I mean? Where it just becomes <laughs> uh, Gorn overkill for the sake of a marketable species. Right. Yeah. Um, I did like the fact that we did get a reference to Chief Kyle, uh, yeah. despite the fact that the actor is not going to be appearing in season two, but look, uh, maybe the actor does come back in season three. Uh, you know, it just kind of depends on his career uh, I, I believe that actor left, uh, found uh, a more consistent and a, a bigger uh, role at another uh, TV show. So that's cool. Um, and I like that Chief Kyle has not been forgotten about. Yeah. I wonder if they just kind of like toss off Chief Kyle mentions uh, till even the end of the series run. Because Kyle is a member of Kirk's Enterprise as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, but I guess he, he's mostly like on the bridge, right? I feel like it was a utilitarian player in the original series yeah. who popped up many different places. Okay, wow. Um, uh, the thing that we forgot to talk about last week, and I can't believe we we didn't talk about um, the new version of Pike's tunic, which I thought looked like exponentially better than the season one version, where it, was kinda, it seemed as if it was made of like leather, and it looked like mm. really uncomfortable, whereas uh, last week's version in Shreds, um, that looked much more comfortable and cooler. Yes, it did. It did. And, like, I think Strange New Worlds has had pretty good success rate 
in terms of the uniforms like I remember like you and I just like scratching our heads over like the gray uniforms at the end of season three discovery there's been nothing really like that I saw some people had issues with kind of the um somewhat you could say over designed um formal uniforms that the crew is wearing in the uh in the um courtroom episode this season but I really didn't have an issue with them and I didn't I, so far, I've been, like, very happy with the costume design. Oh. Okay. Well, Cam, um, the space hippie that you are, <laughs> I, I, I think you want to maybe uh, segue in to talk about uh, the impact that the uh, actors and writers' strike is having on the Star Trek universe. Um, of course, that we do know, as a result of the writers' strike, uh, work on season three of Strange New Worlds, it shut down a couple months ago. And now those performers are on strike as well. Uh, and for you and I, uh, we do have the Star Trek convention coming up uh, in the first week of August. Uh, and I don't know. It, it just seems as if there's so much uncertainty right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the actors don't really know what the policies are. and There are mixed messages going out. Um you know, like uh, Anson Mount was saying uh, almost immediately, like, uh, conventions are my personal time. And whatever I do on my personal time, that's that. And then uh, someone like Kate Mulgrew is saying, like, no, I stand in solidarity of the SAG after a union. And I will not be going to the Star Trek convention. And it's like, okay, from what I gather, uh, it is okay for these actors to go to a convention it is not necessarily okay for them to talk about their work on Star Trek or mm-hmm. other film or television productions they've done, except for uh, commercials, if they'd like to talk about commercials. I-, I believe it's okay to talk about like independent features and yeah. uh, animated um, work as well. So if you're a big Star Trek Prodigy fan, if you're a big Lower Decks fan, uh, it should not be a problem, but it, it's just how the actors may wish to apply those rules. And maybe some actors would feel comfortable talking about their work on Lower Decks. Maybe others would not. And so it's going to be left up to them at a certain point. But, you know, the convention's still on. I'm hoping it it, it gives some opportunities for us to hear <laughs> some different things coming out of the actors' mouths versus like the upteenth time I've heard uh, somebody ask Michael Dorn how long it took to get his makeup on, you know? Um, yeah. Or the how did you get that job? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, what was your favorite episode? It's like, uh, mm. okay. You know, so um, I hope they do more like kind of like <laughs> like games, you know, like not, not goofy stuff, but like they're like, I remember. Uh, we saw Robin Curtis and Eric Minyak in, uh, who played Savick and uh, the Traveler, respectively. We saw them at a convention in San Fran, and um, they were playing this game up on stage. Uh, well, it was was it like twenty questions or something like that? Like, uh, yeah. and um, it, it was fun. It, it, I thought it would be it was way more fun than somebody going up to the mic and asking Eric Minyak how did he get the job as the Traveler, you know? And so I, I hope they do stuff like that. I don't mind. I'd like to go up and ask these actors, like, uh, "Hey, uh, what music you listening to?" Or you know, like that that sort of stuff. You know, like, just I, I'm okay with them moving away from kind of the same old, same old that we get at the conventions. Well, you've seen Bruce Campbell on a panel, right? You were with me when we saw uh, that fan expo with a friend of the podcast, Mark Carter, I believe, was that trip. Yeah, and he does that whole panel called "Last Fan Standing." Where it's like very much kind of like a interview game show thing where he brings fans up and makes much more of like this almost like comedy based interview game show thing. And he's since like taken it on the road and toured it around and done this whole like performance thing. When I started going to the Las Vegas Star Trek convention originally, it was not at that point sponsored by, you know, CBS Paramount. And there was a lot more, like, creativity in terms of, like, what a panel was. I remember going and seeing Armin Shimmerman do, like, an hour-long, like, Shakespeare panel and giving a whole Shakespeare performance, like, for the last 15 minutes or something like that. I remember seeing Ethan Phillips and another actor who I'm totally blanking on who it even was, might have been Robert Picardo, uh, doing, like, this comedy play for an extended, you know, uh, time period of their panel. It felt like there was a little more experimentation. I remember reading stories about like 
Kirk and well Shatner and Nimoy doing like musical performances. So it might actually in some ways allow the performers to actually perform a little more as opposed to doing kind of this more pat we talk about Star Trek nonstop. We might get to learn a little bit more about them as people through interesting questions, but also like allow them to be creative, which is kind of what you want them there for. I hope it inspires them. You know, like it's not going to inspire all, but some will, some will take this assignment on. (laughs) Okay. We've gone to enough uninspired panels and you kind of know who does the uninspired panels. Um, Yeah. I can understand. I can understand. There was one fan who I thought actually had a really funny comment was when it became kind of uh, known that the the stars would not be talking about Star Trek, someone said, so Shatner rules are in effect then. <laughs> <laughs> because anyone who has attended a Shatner panel uh, knows the chances of him spending much time talking about Star Trek are very thin. You're going to hear about pixels, people's dogs, horses, whatever else Shatner has swirling around his mind. The best was last year when that guy went up to the mic and he said, there's a line of dialogue in this episode and it sounded like it originally should have been like, say, Spock's dialogue. Did you take that line of dialogue and say it yourself? And Shatner's <laughs> just looking at him and he's like, I don't know. This is like, I I, I, I did this 55 years ago and I never watched the episode. Like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Somebody's on the Facebook group and they're like, as if Shatner doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, of course he doesn't. Come on, this is a 93-year-old man being asked a specific question about a line of dialogue. And I believe Shatner when he says that he doesn't watch his episodes. He, I think he said the most he ever does is like he's flipping through the channels uh, while he's in like a hotel room and there's an episode of Star Trek on. He might pause for like uh, like two or three minutes just to wa- watch a little bit. But he doesn't I, – I believe Shatner when he says that he doesn't watch Star Trek episodes. It is not common for people who create film and television to sit and watch their own film and television over and over again and then have like geeky conversations. I've done enough interviews at this point with creative people. If you ask them about a movie they made that maybe it was 10 years ago, they're often like, boy, I really should have rewatched that because I don't know anymore. Like these things fade away. It's part of a day-to-day job. It's like <laughs> what, no matter what your job is, just think to yourself right now, what, was you, what were you doing at work six months ago? You'd be like, I, I I don't know. You might remember an overall project, but you don't remember the details. Well, I I think listeners know I, I I'm a journalist, and um, if somebody came up to me and was asking me a questions about a story I wrote ten years ago, and is just like, and so then, in what order did you interview everybody for this story? Oh, and yeah. so what was your thought process when it came to constructing this sentence? Wait. What do you mean you don't rewrite or reread that story like day after day? What are you yeah. a madman? No, it's work, and that's what the thing is. Like, for most of these actors, for the vast majority of of these actors, Star Trek's work. It, it's mm-hmm. not their passion, but I think they are energized by the passion of the fans. Though I, I think that genuinely gives them like uh, an energy boost there. But it just it, it's. They're not passionate about the franchise the same way that we are. No, they're passionate about the experience of acting, finding a character that matters to them and pulling that off. They're not obsessed with like going back and watching the tape over and over again to be like, damn, nailed it. And, you know, like I work in a job where I work in a bakery, but I do a lot of cake decorating. Tyler, I can't tell you the number of times people have come to me and said, you made a cake for me about six months ago. I really liked it. Could you do something like that again? It's happened. It happens yeah. all the time. And I'm just like, I don't remember you. I'm sorry. I make like, you know, 20 cakes a week or 30 cakes a week. Yeah. It is a thing. But I don't know. Like overall, are you like optimistic about this convention? How are you feeling about it? I feel like even it's a total like like shit show it, yeah. it'll be it'll be entertaining it'll be like nothing i've ever seen before at a star trek convention and yeah. uh, i think you and i will uh will be uh chuckling <laughs> at whatever unfolds and it'll be one to remember um i i do have questions though. like i don't know uh, would, would the rat pack be able to sing their songs because there's all these star trek references and for those that don't know on sunday evenings we've got actors like um 
uh, Von Armstrong, uh, Max Grodenchik, Casey Biggs. Uh, we, we've had uh, uh, Nana Visitor, uh, even Jimmy Darren have come out and they're singing songs and they're all in kind of like the uh, 1960s sort of uh, lounge show sort of style. And, and they're all like... Um, like funny Star Trek puns and jokes and that. And um, I don't know. Maybe they won't be able to sing about that stuff. No, I think my guess is that we are going to have them performing like actual covers as opposed to, you know, comedy songs. And they'll just have the energy of the typical Rat Pack show, which is actors who are, <laughs> you know, just basically having a good time on stage. And there's a lot of fun banter between them. Okay. Um, yeah. Are you looking forward to this camp? I am. And I am kind of in a place where I'm comfortable with the idea of a shakeup year because, well, first off, I think our recap episode is going to be pretty entertaining when we're describing <laughs> what we saw that yeah, yeah. Uh, four day period. I think that could be really interesting this year as opposed to kind of like the um, kind of like the bite sized quotes that people throw out about new shows that are coming out where you're like, yeah, I've kind of heard this stuff before. This isn't that interesting. This will feel like much less of a PR year. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and I, I've seen some people expressing concern online because, uh, you know, Kate Mulgrew, as you said, has canceled. Uh, James Darren has canceled for reasons we don't know. Uh, Natalia, I'm blanking on her last name. The actress that played Necheyev has canceled because she, like Mulgrew, is supporting the strike and doesn't feel comfortable going. That's fine. They're, that's their decision. Uh, today, Robert Duncan McNeil. Uh, canceled for reasons we don't know and I've seen fans like really freaking out because we've got four cancellations but like I don't know I, I feel like most years when we go to the Star Trek convention at this point like basically like a week before we fly out there's more cancellations than this yes exactly uh, wasn't it remarkable last year I don't think there were that many cancellations were there no I think it was like the COVID year and so a lot of these people were like get us back on like a stage with like a packed audience again yeah yeah um yeah so but you're right like this is not an atypical number of cancellations for a star trek convention of this scale so um yeah i i look i i i'm looking forward to like i'm honestly looking forward to this because it, it's going to be like nothing we've ever seen before yeah and someone noted online that robert duncan mcneil was canceled like the last three years so like who really even knows i think they're assigning more meaning at this point uh than we have and yeah these things happen actors drop out just for whatever reasons so like I, I am, I think, this year looking a lot more forward because I've seen people kind of upset that they're not going to have nonstop Trek talk in, like, the celebrity panels, which may be the case. But, like, to me, I think I'm going to make more of a concentrated effort in some ways to check out more of the specialty panels because there is going to be a lot of Trek talk on the secondary stages and panels involving more, like, tech-based people, you know, like the Okudas, for example, and people like them who worked in production design and what have you. Those panels are going to bring a lot of the Star Trek talk. So I'm looking forward to maybe taking in more of those than I might a different year where you had really flashy headliners who I was like, oh, my God, I have to hear what they're going to say about Picard Season 3 or something. Uh, Cam, I... I... Well, we were also fools in that we bought, um, what, like $60, $70 tickets to see the cast of The Next Generation in a separate Saturday night event. And Yeah, that I'm annoyed about. Because uh, the thing is, I, I wanted to go see this cast reunite and talk about that experience uh, reuniting for season three of Star Trek Picard. That's why I bought those tickets. Um, what, what, like, if they're up there talking about their pets... <laughs> like uh -huh. i am gonna i'm gonna be demanding a refund like i'm not gonna get one but i like I, i'll be livid they might at most give you like a gift certificate to be used at the creation table or something like that yeah but i think you're gonna have a lot of people kind of annoyed because typically they don't charge at creation events for like these types of panels uh and although they did a few years ago and it was like a real upset with people big deal actually where they ended up giving uh, people with higher ticket grades than Tyler and I have this year, free entry to that TNG panel. But this year it is, uh, fine, you know, money for everyone. And uh, not the best year to really launch that one. I don't think that's going to um, get them a lot of great PR for, you know, creation. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the panel's really creative and they do Family Feud or something like that. And we all love it. Who knows? 
Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to whatever turns out. We've got two weeks until we're uh, in the throes of it, and so uh, we'll give listeners an update uh, after we get back. And, of course, we'll figure out the whole uh, podcasting schedule. It'll be a little bit different because um, like you and I will be gone while uh, we have uh, Strange New Worlds in kind of the, the last run of episodes, and then we'll mm-hmm. be back for the finale. But... We might have to like throw in a kind of an extra episode or something. Like to, we want to make sure that we're uh, giving like those two episodes uh, their due uh, while we're on the road as well. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I'm just really glad that the uh, crossover lower decks episode lands next week versus when we're on vacation and we have to wait like three weeks or something or two weeks or whatever to get that episode out. You don't want to watch it on my 12 uh, inch MacBook screen. Oh, no, I will. But in terms of like getting an episode out for everyone to listen to, there would have oh. been a delay versus we actually will be able to have it out like on time next week. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty then. Well, look, uh, we'll keep folks uh, updated about <laughs> whatever unfolds. That's right. So as we've said, next week we'll be back with a review of the episode Those Old Scientists, which is episode seven of season two, Strange New Worlds. And, of course, if you enjoyed listening to us, jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. Let us know your thoughts on where you think Strange New Worlds is going at this point in the season. We'd love to hear from it. And let us know what you think of Paul Wesley, because I want outside opinions just to find out if we're just old grumps. If we're like (laughs) Statler and Waldorf of Star Trek podcasting, I need to know. It's very possible. Exactly. You can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. B is in Visions of Violence. Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P. P is in Pike's Temporary Promotion. O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I don't know. This is a captain who, when he's visiting Pike's ship, is, like, geeking out over the fact they have, like, fresh-baked cookies. Yeah. <laughs> versus, like, the original series where he's serving them up colored cubes. <laughs> <laughs> He's cruel. (laughs) He really is.